18. All right, let's hear the word of God. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Amen. This is a two-part sermon. We're going to only work work through the first few verses. But this is such an interesting section in Romans. And with God's help, we'll we'll begin to understand it. Let's, Let's pray. Father, how grateful we are for the promises and the assurance which you give us here from your word. Promises which cannot be broken, assurances which will always be certain, and both because of Christ and Christ alone. Therefore, help us to know and feel that you are unquestionably for us and not against us. And even though we still struggle with indwelling sin, thank you that that penalty has been paid, that debt removed. And so we praise your name as the psalmist said, who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. If you, Lord, kept a record of sin, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Father, because you are faithful and forgiving and because we are your children, in this moment, meet our needs as you by your spirit teach us from this text. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Are you sure, Dad? Are you, are you absolutely sure? Those are the words of my daughter and my son uh, a few years ago in two different contexts. One began with our family's love affair with, with Apple products. And my daughter, who I love, was promised an iPhone by her parents on her birthday. And she was so excited But she was a little uncertain, so she said to me, eyeball to eyeball, are you sure, Dad? Are you sure? Am I really going to get that iPhone for my birthday? She needed assurance, and and we gave it to her. The other context you'll be glad to know is much more spiritual. 
It was with our son, who I also love. He was around 13 years of age. Many of you know this story. And he was beginning to understand that the battle with indwelling sin was, was a real battle. And he was beginning to understand at a level he had never understood before that he was a sinner. So it was all kind of coming online for him. The bubblegum days of his childhood, in one sense, was drawing to a close. And he needed assurance in a moment in time that he was and he could be and he would always be forgiven for his sins by his God who loved him first and who he then and now loves. He needed assurance that the gospel was true. He needed assurance that Jesus Christ was really his righteousness because Jesus Christ became my son's sins, past, present, and future. And that night, and it was beautiful, he got it. Assurance to be guaranteed, to be certain, no doubt, to be given a promise, and the promise is true, you know it and you feel it, even against any loss you might encounter along the way. And loved ones, that is so much of what Paul is doing here in Romans 8. He's giving the Christian's church there in Rome, first century, he's giving them assurance, and what was true for them, praise God, is also true for us in Christ. Now, Typically, when we think about assurance on a human level, you know, we might think of terms of uh, financial or intellectual or family or relationships or health as the things which give us assurance in this life, right? The bigger the pile, the larger the numbers, the bigger the stack, the more assurance that we have. And in one sense, that's kind of understandable. But you see, Paul... Because Christianity is not only about life, but it's also about what takes place after life. He goes, after death, excuse me, he goes spiritual. He literally goes spiritual. If your Bible's open, I sure hope it is. Look at verse 12. The Spirit, this is how Paul gives assurance. The Spirit who raised Christ from the dead will raise your mortal body from the dead. The Spirit tells us, assures us. Verse 13, by the Spirit you put to death the works of the flesh. Verse 14, led by the Spirit, because you're children of God, you are not a slave to fear anymore. Because, verse 15, do you see it there? The Spirit you received brought you to adoption, right? God is your Father. God is Abba, Daddy, Papa, God to you. The Spirit assures us of this. And verse 16, which we'll get to in a moment still, the Spirit himself, not itself, right? The Spirit himself testifies to us that we are God's children. And you see, what Paul is doing in all those things, the, the promised resurrection of our bodies, the battle we rage by the Spirit within dwelling sin, led by the Spirit to lead a life like a child of God would lead, the Spirit you received uh, that brought about your adoption, crying out to God as Father, there you go. That is exactly what children of God do. By the Spirit, you received when you repented and you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Those are the marks of the Spirit's work in you. Assurances that the Spirit given when we first repented, given fully when we first repented, to testify to us that we are true children of God. However, I want you to listen carefully. All of that assurance, all of that still is not the ground of our salvation. Are they the marks? Absolutely. Are they the ground? No way. Jesus Christ is. Galatians 5.4, we will never be justified by our obedience. 
Ephesians 2.9, not by works so that nobody can boast, speaking of the gospel. Galatians 2.20, the righteous will always live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave himself up for us. So what Paul says, because of the grace of God given to you in Christ, there is absolute certainty, assurances of your perseverance that God is in you, his spirit is in you, Christ is in you, you are his child both now and forever, all who are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, what Paul says is the benefits of justification are never to be understood as the ground of our salvation. That's Jesus. But yes, they are the marks of our salvation. We sang the song last week, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood, right? This is my story. I put in my notes, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. That's the gospel. So for a moment, if you would, please picture yourself as a tree. I told someone last week this. Picture yourself as a tree and your roots are in the ground and the ground is Christ. Paul's aim here in Romans 8 is by the Spirit, he grabs our roots and he pulls them deeper and deeper and deeper, grounded into Christ in his finished work on the cross, to glory in the cross, to put no confidence in our flesh. And then in order that we would be profoundly assured of our standing with God and all those promises, that we're covered, that we're in his grace, and that we're his children, and that he's, he's our father, and that we're promised to be fashioned to the image of his son, Paul just lays down all these assurances in those verses that we read and the ones that are coming up. Now, now, ask yourself this question, right? Why is that important? There's so many things going on in the world. Gotcha. Why is that important? Well, on one level, it's a necessary truth that our loving God, who's wiser than us, knows that we need to know. He knows that we need to know this. You see, because there's another reason, and it's so practical. And actually, it was for the church in Rome itself. You see, the letter here was written around 57 AD. The very first targeted persecution of Christians as a group by Rome began in around the year 64 AD. Okay, so some six or seven years, give or take, this letter was written, and then it was read, and it was no doubt studied. The Christians there, then, six or seven years later, their life just began to collapse around them because of persecution. It's something like this, knock, 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 open up, it's a Roman soldier, and it's a Christian who answers it. All right, who is Lord, Caesar or Christ? Answer me now, who, who, who? Answer me, who? If they say Caesar is Lord, cool, right? They still can go to the family reunion. Their schedule is still their schedule. Go to work, eat, sleep, their house, their kids, kiss them, binge a bit on Netflix. Life goes on. But if they say Jesus Christ is Lord, all that's pretty much over. You understand? God This is really hard. God, I am afraid. It's my life, God. My family's life, God. 
All because of the gospel, really? Because I say Jesus dies for sins and he's Lord? God, you promised. Romans 8. Forgive me? You know that? I love this theme, the, the Lone Ranger. I've done it before. You know, and he's coming to the rescue. The Spirit of God, through the Word of God, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? You have my word. You have my assurance. You're my child. I'm your father. I am God. Nothing will separate you from my love. I assure you. I promise you. So bring your list. Trouble, hardship, persecution, death, danger. Whatever it is, bring it on. I assure you, says God's live and active word, nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God, Romans 8, 39, that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In life, in death, you are mine, I assure you. These are certain guaranteed promises. And all that then takes us to our first point. Number one, the Spirit testifies. See it in verse 16? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now that's a big sentence. Two questions. What does it mean the Spirit testifies to our spirit, and why does it matter? Okay? So let's just think about for a moment what does it mean. And it's a wonderful truth, but it can be very, very dangerous. I mean, you, you're a bright gr- group. You read the Internet. You read your newspapers. How many times has someone said, this is God's Spirit. God's Spirit has testified to me to do X, and X is not even close to the Word of God. So, so what they're saying is spirit-led is not spirit-affirmed. And we know it because God's Word doesn't say it. If you need some help there, Galatians 5, 19 to 26 is a great start. The Ten Commandments will always do. But still, in this, this idea of the Spirit testifying to our spirits, the views actually vary on what that exactly means. And of course, testify is the key word. So, so let's look at that word for a bit. In Greek, the word is pronounced sumaratureso. Sumaratureso. It means to bear witness with. And the root in that word is where we get our English word martyr. Now stay with me. Before the word martyr was understood for Christians as a Christian who's killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ, it had the idea of this. There was a difficult case being solved in such a way that it was beyond any doubt at all, all right? So before the word martyr became, as we understand it, it meant a difficult case being solved in such a way that it was beyond any doubt at all. So think of it this way. In court, it's a court case. Someone would testify. Let's say Mr. Smith is in court, and he is testifying against Mr. Jones, and Mr. Smith says that he, he saw Mr. Jones, you know, steal, steal the computer. And the person's testimony is given in such a way that it's beyond any doubt at all that he's telling the truth. Time, location, description, all correct, all uniform, no doubt at all. Now think with me. In the same way, when a person would die for their faith in Christ, it was so clear It gave testimony. It testified that there was no doubt at all that they belonged to Christ. I mean, they were losing their life because they believed that a 30-something-year-old man who, who was God incarnate, died for their sins, he was three days dead, was risen, then later ascended to the right hand of God, and he's going to return to judge the living and the dead. 
So taking all that into account, when Paul says here, verse 16, the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God, this is what he has in mind at its most basic level. The Spirit makes it absolutely clear, with no doubt at all, the Spirit is testifying to our spirit we are God's children. If you like, the Spirit of God, right, the divine author of the Word of God, is affirming the Word of God to you is true. In other words, what Paul is saying to the church and what Paul is saying to us through this Word is true. Christ in you is true. The gospel is true. The benefits of justification, verse 12 and following, it's all true. Now, here's the thing. We may all respond to the Spirit's testifying to our spirits with different degrees of intensity because we're different people. I mean, that's a good thing, different personalities. It's a lovely thing that God did when he made human beings. But the intensity of our response is not the issue, right? Some people try to make it the issue. Still, you know, still the spirits giving assurance to our spirits that we are God's children, that's the issue. So, so think with me. You have two Christians. Again, Mr. Smith and Mr. Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones repented. He's out of prison. Everything's good, right? Mr. Smith, Mr. Jones. They're discussing verse 16, and, and they begin to describe the Spirit himself testifies with their spirit that they are God's children. Now, one is very excitable. One is pretty much plain as rain, right? One says, holy buckets, right? Good golly, Miss Molly, the Spirit testifies to my spirit, my inner person, hallelujah, right? That I'm God's child. Praise God, praise God. Maybe even doing a twirl. It's a big moment for them. The other person kind of gets quiet, kind of gets choked up, eyes begin to water, and they're like, oh my, the Spirit testifies to my spirit, you know, big gulp, that I am God's child. Praise God. Praise God. Two different responses, and of course, a whole bunch of degrees in between, two different responses to the one spirit who testifies to their spirit that they are children of God. Okay, a question. When the Spirit testifies, which one of those men has more of the Spirit, more of the inner witness, more assurance that they are God's child? Which one? And the answer, of course, is neither. Right? Neither. It's the same. And that is because of the ground of that promise. The ground of the Spirit testifying to their spirit that they are God's children is not because of their intensity or lack of intensity. Just just get rid of that. It is because of the certainty of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It is because of Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross which condemns sin in our flesh in order that we could be credited his perfection and therein the Holy Spirit abides and testifies to us that we are God's children. Whether you shout it or you're just kind of like about it. Isn't that important? Isn't that important because someone says to you, what's wrong with you people? Aren't you excited about Jesus? Hey, 
Hey, I'm excited, but I'm not like Mr. Intensity. Is that okay? Is that okay? Sure it is. Now, that's just one example. But before we move on, look at verse 16, please. In the Greek, that is written in the present active indicative. Now, I tell you this because it's beautiful, and this is what it means. The Spirit, just listen and hold to this. The Spirit, bearing witness to our spirit that we are God's children, is a continuous, active, present reality indicative for every Christian. And you understand what that means? The Spirit testifying to our spirit that we are God's children. That's in a continuous loop. It's a perpetual work of the Spirit to testify us that we are God's children. And listen carefully, so this is not dependent on us. The Spirit bearing witness to our spirit that we are children of God is, is, not, is not us trying to conjure up something by the Spirit so that we can feel like we are children of God. This is the Spirit's promise. This is the Spirit's work. The Spirit is doing the work. We are not doing the work. Do you understand that? If you, if you know anything about Christianity, you know that's important. We serve a gracious God who will not sh- stop showing us his love for us. He will not stop loving us and he will not sh- stop assuring us by the Spirit. So, so just think with me. Those dark days come. Those bright days come. Those days when you get the doctor's call. Those days when the kids call and they say, Mom and Dad, you're the best parents ever. And we love you so. And all those kind of average days in between, which is most of what we live, average days. In all of those contexts, the Spirit promises us that he's testifying that we are God's children. I'm going to keep on loving you, as the song says. I'm going to keep on loving you. You, you know the book, I, I, um, I Love You Forever. I love you forever. I like you for always. As long as I'm living, you know, forever, my child you be, you will be. Robert Munchkin or Munsk, excuse me, Robert Munsk. The Spirit testifies, he makes it absolutely clear, with no doubt at all, to our spirit, that we Christians, we are children of God. That's what verse 16 means. And of course, the simple question to that answer is, do you have that witness? Do do you have that testimony? In you. And, and Christian, if you're lacking in assurance, then one, I'm really sorry about that. Two, you don't need to be. Three, remember verse 16. And go to God's word, and the Spirit will work in and through the word to help you have assurance. Finally, right, before we move on. You see, that's why we're called to test the spirits. To see if they're from God. I mean, you don't assume that every impression that you have is from the Spirit, do you? I hope you don't. Test the spirits to see if they're from God. And of the course, the test is, does the Spirit take you to the Word of God and confirm that Word? Because it always will. That's what verse 16 means. Now, this is why it matters, which takes us to our second point, and actually our final point. The Spirit testifies, that's number one. Number two, Christians inheriting. Now, just follow the logic of the Bible. 
Okay, so the Spirit's testifying to our spirits that we are God's children. Verse 17, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Okay, so what Paul is saying, as the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are God's children, the goodness of God doesn't stop there. I mean, that train, the goodness train of God, it keeps on rolling and rolling like a river. We are heirs of God, Paul says, and co-heirs with Christ. Inheritance is the idea here. Now, I don't think I've ever actually inherited anything as of yet. I could be wrong, but I just don't think. doesn't matter. All of God's children participate in God's estate. We're all going to be beneficiaries here. Now, just think of that for a moment. Just think about that. We're all going to inherit. And because it's from God, our inheritance is never going to end. Right? Out of his infinite riches, he giveth and giveth again and again and again. So I had a Snickers bar Thursday night. All right? Honestly, I have not eaten a Snickers bar in a long time. Probably pre-pandemic. I'm pretty sure that's true. But when I took that first bite... I said two things to myself. The first thing I said was, man, this is really, really good. But then I looked at the Snickers bar and I said, this is really, really small. (laughs) I mean, it's like, I'm going to eat this in like 10 seconds. (laughs) So I ate it and a few bites, it was gone. I was so disappointed. (laughs) I was just like reaching in the roof of my mouth. Any chocolate anywhere there, you know, just to get a little buzz. So disappointed because it was so good. We will never know disappointment in heaven. We will never know disappointment in heaven. You see, the value of the inheritance is determined by the worth of the one who gives it, if you like, who bequeaths it. Our inheritance is from the creator, sustainer, and owner of the cosmos, the universe, the one who transcends the universe, right? So, so the universe is expanding, scientists tell us, at the rate of 155,000 miles per hour. Just think of like, so here's, here's a central point, 155 miles per hour in every direction the universe is expanding right now. That's all going to be ours. Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Loved ones, we're not so arrogant to think that we human beings came up with the idea of having a good time and enjoying our inheritance, do we? Our inheritance will be thrilling, it will be moving, it will be exciting, and it will be holy. 187 times in the Bible, all of it, old and new, the term feast is used. New Testament, the table of Christ. Loved ones, God likes matter. He invented matter. And so the God who transcends the universe is guaranteeing our inheritance. Indeed, Ephesians 1.14 says the Spirit himself is the first fruits guaranteeing our inheritance So new heaven and new earth, you know that, and you know that. New forever bodies, great place to live. 
Heaven, the new heaven and new earth, no more sin, no more sickness, no more temptation, no more evil, no more lies, no more lust, no more slander, no more mistreatment, no more gossip. You'll never have to deal with sin at all ever again. You'll never feel bad again. You'll never feel inadequate again. You'll never feel creepy, moody, and depressed. Isn't that great? Don't you hate sin? That's our inheritance. All that is assured by God's Spirit to us as children of God. Okay, so God is the source, the giver of our inheritance, but he also, he's also our inheritance. Listen to your Bible, Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Psalm 16, 5. The Lord is my inheritance. Lamentations 3, 24. The Lord is my portion. In some translations, inheritance. That says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. That's awesome. If we stop there, it would be great. But this is God. So there's so much more. Paul also says, see, verse 17, we as children of God, which the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are, we're also co-heirs with Christ. And so what we have here is, is glorious and it is grand. Paul is telling Christians, we will receive an inheritance to the same extent that Jesus Christ will receive. Let me say that again. Paul is telling us Christians that we will receive an inheritance to the same extent that Jesus Christ will receive. Now, we're not going to be equal to Christ in the sense of his deity, but we're going to be equal to him in the sense of inheriting all that Jesus possesses. Now, that, loved ones, is God's predetermined plan. That is the extent of our inheritance, and God wants it this way. So someday when we get to heaven, we're going to get everything that God has promised to Jesus Christ. Shocking? What a thought? Every Christian? Because everything is going to be brought into subject to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. Okay, how many blessings? All of them. And then he goes on and he talks to them. And then in verse 11, we have an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works out all things after the counsel of his own will. Verse 10, to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Everything ultimately resolved in Christ and we inherit all of it. Co-heirs with Christ. There's a hymn that comes to mind. The Lord is king who then shall dare resist his will, distrust his care, or murmur at his wise decrees or doubt his royal promises. So Jesus is described as as the heir of all things and we are co-heirs and you do the math. So a human parent, think with me, a human parent says to their kids, okay, listen, when I die, I'm going to leave you things, and I'm going to leave you things, and you things, and everybody's going to get an equal share. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way, but you understand. So you're going to get a piece, and you're going to get a piece, and you're going to get that piece, and that piece, and that that piece, and so everyone gets their own little square of what was there. But that is not like our inheritance. It's nothing like that at all. It is literally infinitely better. God isn't just, you know, 
parceling out pieces of the universe, of the new heaven and the earth. No. It's like a father who, who looks at all his kids and says, look, all of you are going to get all of it, and it is never going to end. Everyone will get everything, and everything will never end. It's like Christmas times infinity. So anyone saw the movie Annie, you know, Little Orphan Annie? And so remember after she gets adopted and she walks into Daddy Warbucks' home and, and it's a musical, so she just starts singing. Remember the song that she sang? I, I think I'm going to like it here. <laughs> yes, yes, I think I'm going to like it here. And then you remember what Daddy Warbucks says? It's, it's very hard not to, my dear. Everybody getting everything. Oh, so you say, like, you know, that's never going to work here. Of course not. We're sinners. We understand that. But in heaven, it'll work fine. And in heaven, our inheritance isn't going to be right piecemeal, right? So, okay, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, yours. Uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, yours. No, in heaven, everybody gets everything, and everything will never stop, and nobody's in conflict with anybody ever about the anything that they got. We all possess it all. All blessing. All there is to be had from God as co-heirs with Christ. Now, if that doesn't help you want to go to heaven and take a whole lot of people with you, I don't know what will. <laughs> but there's more. This is God. It doesn't stop here. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. 1 John 3, 2, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You understand? We're going to be finally glorification like Christ. Do you ever have a person that you wish you looked like on the earthly level? I mean, I think probably all of us would be honest. I mean, I have my guy <laughs> that, that I wish I looked like. <laughs> it's not going to happen, but I still have it. Joe dies, you die. <laughs> when Christ appears, we shall be like him. To bring a little lump to your throat. What a love, you know, what a, what a cost. You see, it's not that God doesn't want us to have it all. It's just like right now we can't. And we won't. Don't try to get it all. Not yet. Uh, the world is too much in us. That's Woodsworth. Listen to this quote, Puritan. Fallen men seem to know they are devoid of glory, and they often try tirelessly to gain glory for themselves or give up on life. There is no glory apart from Christ. So, so don't try to get it all here. You have it all waiting for you over there. Over there, everything is perfect. 
There's not going to be any like no trespassing signs in heaven. There's not going to be any don't touch signs. There's not going to be forbidden signs. There's not going to be you break it, you pay for it signs. There's not going to be, you know, this, this area is reserved for. No. No one will ever say in an angry voice, you talking to me? You talking to me? None of that stuff in heaven. In heaven, we can speak like a sanctified two-year-old. You know what I mean? Remember I tell you about my daughter, Lindsay, when she was two years old and she'd walk around the house and everything was her. This is mine. This is mine. This is mine. I'm like, <laughs> when will this end? Yes, Lindsay, that's yours. Yes, Lindsay, that's yours. Just take it all. Just zip it, please. In heaven, we're going to be able to say, this is mine. This is mine. This is mine. It's beautiful. There's more. John 17, the glory which you've given me, says Jesus, I've given to them that they may be one just as we are one. You see, when I said this is mine, you might have said, well, shouldn't you say this is yours, ours? Okay. <laughs> but it's okay if I say this is mine because it's still mine, even though it's yours. And loved ones, let God be God here. L- look how generous God is. Remember, remember Dickens' Oliver Twist? Please, sir, remember? Please, sir, may I have some more? That's not God. This is not hot hat in hand. I don't mean to impose, God. No. It's all yours. It's all yours. 1 Corinthians 3.23. The world or life or death or the present or the future, all of them belong to you. You belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. 2 Corinthians 1.20. All of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. That is staggering. It's impossible to fully comprehend this. But my prayer this week is may all of us be changed by this. Meditate on what we just talked about. Loved ones, we need to think more about what I just said. Because we could get so bogged down on earth, all earth, earth, earth. We feel like what is taking place here is never going to end. But it will end. It will end. Heaven is the place which will never end. And the greatness of our inheritance is beyond our comprehension, which means you could sit, take some time today and meditate on Romans 8, 16, and 17, and, and 18. And know this is true because you can't earn it. This is of grace. This is not of works. This is because of Jesus. How could it be about us? I mean, when I think about my sin accumulating over the years and I wanted inheritance, how dare I? That's what I would say to myself. But because of Jesus, bring it on. I have no other argument, I have no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died. And that he died for me. Great, Joe, come on in. Come on in. Talk about hope. And if you look at the end of that, verse 17, so that we all may share in his glory. All of us sharing in the glory of Christ, reflecting the beauty and the perfection of Jesus Christ. Now, and this is where we'll close. Now you see his argument? When you compare our inheritance with our sufferings, of which verse 17 tells us we will have. Okay, so we're going to share in the sufferings of Jesus here on earth. Okay, so what did the Jesus suffer? He suffered so much for the gospel, didn't he? 
People lied about him. Collective groups of religious people conspired against him, hit him, spat on him, challenged his teaching, alluded to the strange circumstances of his birth. Remember, he was kind of called an illegitimate child, mocked him as he was hanging on the cross. However, Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the, the, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, disregarded its shame, sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him then who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So here's the thing, and this is where we're going to end. It wasn't that sufferings looked pretty small and that they didn't hurt. Of course they hurt. It's just, this is the logic of the Bible. This is the calculations of God. Verse 18b, you see it? They, those sufferings, are not worth comparing with the glory which will be revealed in us. So you see, the weight of this text, the point that Paul is trying to convey about suffering is, okay, yeah, it's there. But you compare the temporal sufferings to the infinite amount of inheritance which the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are God's children and we will receive. Well then, you need an image. There's a scale and here's our suffering and then here's our inheritance. The suffering just flies away. Doesn't even matter really in the whole scheme of things. Fading is the worldly pleasure. All his boasted pomp and, and show, solid joys and lasting pleasures, none but Zion's children know. God help us to just capture this in my, our mind and let it loose in our hearts for Jesus' sake. Could we just stand together this morning as we dismiss? Is that okay? We usually don't, but I just, I thought we should stand for this. This is, this is just wonderful. Two prayers for you as we dismiss from the Bible. First, if you bow with me, please. May the God of peace give you peace at all times and in every way. And second, may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust in him in order that you might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit which testifies to our spirits, Christian, that we are God's children. Amen and amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.